The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Talking about issues and coming up with solutions. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. G'day, I hope you had a terrific weekend. If you did something uh, away, I hope you didn't get stuck in that dreadful traffic. I did. I went to visit my mum in the hospital yesterday afternoon with the family. On And when did I do it? Sunday afternoon. It was a car park. It took three and a half hours to get from the central coast to Sydney. And I know the traffic was like that in one direction, pretty much in all the major holiday venues and areas heading back to where you live. So I hope you didn't get caught up in that. And uh, traditionally, I would advise anybody who does that, be like me, normally come back at midnight. Why not? There's no traffic and you get to extend your stay just that little bit more wherever you happen to be. Now, when it comes to handy holiday hints, we might have some for the, some of the haters when it comes to Australia Day. They'll have nothing to do for the next 11, 11 and a half months while they again get ready to uh, get up on their soapboxes and tell everybody how much they hate Australia. And you know what? Bugger them. But I'll tell you what, that's, uh, if you think Sherlock Holmes is good, You'll love the police in South Australia. I'll just read part of this verbatim. There was a paint attack on a cow statue. It was decorated for Australia Day. Now, it was. Uh, it had a big flag over it, an Aussie flag. It had a bunch of Aussie, you know, good old thongs. You know, for those overseas, I don't mean, you know, under, underwear. I'm talking about thongs, jandals, or, um, you know, I don't flip-flops, whatever you call them, wherever you happen to be. It was decorated with those. And um, now, one of the local elders, this was in Mount Compass in South Australia, said that uh, they were very disappointed that the vandals had targeted a cow in Mount Compass uh, because, and they, oh, by the way, there was red paint all over it, symbolizing blood, or, you know, blood on your hands, all of that nonsense that we uh, get subjected to about once a year. Anyway, this is the best part. The police said, wait for it, hope you're sitting down. They were, <laughs> this is good. They were unable to establish a link between the vandalism and Australia Day, despite the fact it happened between 10 p.m. on the 25th and 7 a.m. on the 26th of January. And they were unable to establish a link. Now, let's hope that if you're living in Mount Compass in South Australia and you need some deductive logic, some kind of, uh, you know, really high-end detective work done, putting piece A together with piece B lending its way to an ultimate conclusion, you may be, you know what, out of luck if you are in Mount Compass, South Australia. So to say nothing of the fact that this cow, this very, uh, you know, and they're common in the area. I mean, people decorate them uh, at Christmas, you know, they're covered in, in tinsel and they've got baubles hanging from them and dressed up as Santa. So on Australia Day, they did a very Aussie thing, some thongs, an Australian flag, some grub, came out, painted it with red paint and uh, left all the other cows that weren't decorated uh, to match Australia Day alone. But the police couldn't absolutely just couldn't find a link between Australia Day and the attack, the vandalism on that particular cow. So well done, Mount Compass Police. You are absolute rocket scientists. Now, now, now something that you may be unaware of, the ACC, now they've been called to um, on the government to get involved in childcare. Now, anyone who's ever dealt with the ACCC, these people are an absolute toothless tiger. If you want a result, don't even bother don't waste your time. They sit there on their on their backsides. They do nothing. They get paid very well, as per most government jobs these days. And what do you get for your money? 
absolutely diddly squat. But they're going to get them involved. They're going to ramp it up a little bit and they're going to have them getting involved in childcare access and how you get your money. But of course, that if you're out there and you've got kids and you work hard, they won't help you. But there are certain groups that they'll go after. Some of those groups are households in remote areas, those who are in less advantaged or so low socioeconomic areas, uh, First Nations children and households, culturally and linguistically diverse children uh, and households and households with children aged zero to two. I would imagine they're, well, they are at the bottom of this list and I would imagine they're at the bottom of the ACCC list as well. But I mean, call me old school. I mean, you know, hate me if you will, but didn't nature suggest that if you're not somebody that gets out, if you're not a couple that go out and have a, a tight-knit family and who contribute and who can provide for their own offspring, that you possibly, you know, you shouldn't be having kids. I mean, maybe that's just me thinking that, but these days, those who do the least expect those who do the most to pay to up for the upbringing of their kids. Meanwhile, those who work don't have the time to have any kids. This is... It's like Darwinism in reverse gear, going down the road 100 miles an hour towards a cliff. It is absolute lunacy, and uh, many would suggest, and I am one of them, that if you don't work and have never worked, you should have access to no childcare, certainly no incentives to have children, because that's a problem that is going to increase uh, exponentially and something that I don't think leads to a healthier Australia. I say, if you want to have kids, imagine you, you're in Africa, you're out on, on, the, on, on the prairie, if you will, in Africa, and those animals who cannot provide for their young are destined to fail. That is how we work as a species. It doesn't matter if you're an animal, a human, an insect. Those who do the work have the offspring and can provide well for them. And it's a community, a culture that expands and survives. Those who don't do that, well, here we are doing the absolute opposite of what nature would suggest. Something I want to talk about a little bit later was historically Tony Abbott, who uh, it, you know, and for those of you who love Tony Abbott, remember, if you also like Pauline Hanson, he was the man behind putting her in jail. Just let me tell you that. Let me remind you of that, if you will. Angus Houston, who was at the time, we're talking about 2014, our defence minister, and there was Tony Abbott after the MH17 disaster, this information just recently coming to light, that he was there advocating to send Australian military into the Ukraine into Kiev and such places then, and this was right on the border where, you know, you had these Russian separatists, you know, they have these people who they say had a Russian supplied um, rocket launcher or whatever it was. How would you know who supplied that rocket launcher? You could, if you had a rocket launcher or you could determine what type of rocket it was, who made it? I'd love to know how you could determine who supplied it without actually catching somebody who admitted to it, blah, blah, blah. We'll go on a little bit about that later, but his, um, his approach to that, even Malcolm Turnbull got it right in regards to Tony Abbott on that, uh, who opted for a better option, as did um, as did our Defence Minister at the time, to say maybe we should send some police over so we don't poke the bear. And here we are 10 years later. What are we doing? We've been poking the bear for well over a year. It's just absolutely mad. But it did start a decade ago and probably then some as well. Uh, we're going to be talking to Gemma Cooper in a second. But in the meantime, did you know that if you've got a suggestion for a possible guest that you'd like to see or hear here at TNT, perhaps you've even got a topic that you feel that we should be discussing, then we want to hear from you. All you have to do is simply leave a suggestion on the TNT website to help us make a difference here at TNT. It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great again? People are talking about. It's vilifying MAGO if it's not going to work. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
And we'll go back. I, I should get some uh, garlic tablets. And why do I say that? Because I'm not going to take uh, blood pressure medication. But when you read all these stories about politicians, their total disregard for us, these people that hate Australia and those who work the hardest paying for those who do sweet, you know, those two letters that go, come after that, who do nothing. Well, I mean, it really does put your blood pressure up, doesn't it? And that's a world that we live in. The media advocate for it. And uh, I don't see it getting any better. In fact, I see it getting worse on a daily basis. Hopefully we'll wake up before it is too late. But somebody who always speaks common sense, who brings me back down to earth and reduces my blood pressure because she is absolutely wonderful is Gemma Cooper. Hey, Gemma, how are you going? Hi, Dean. Welcome back. Yes, we spoke briefly on Australia Day, didn't we? You'd had a, had some time off. So it's uh, great to have you back in the saddle on, a, on what is Monday morning, early Monday morning here in the UK. And that was quite a blistering editorial. I, I was listening and all the different themes you were bringing in. I was thinking, where's he going with this? And there's just so so much to sort of analyse there. But we often talk, don't we, the parallels between Australia and the UK. And and that the one thing you talked about there about people having lots of children and then the state um, being expected to step in and, and take care that's a big thing in the uk you know the kind of divide between uh, the haves and the have-nots people on benefits people on welfare people having lots of children there was even a, 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 a program made on one of our channels here in the uk one of the mainstream channels about somebody i think they had 22 kids and counting was the name of the show or 20 kids and counting i mean you know 20 kids how do you actually even just give birth to 20 kids? That's 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 a lot of work. You know, that is a lot of work. That's a project. But um, obviously it was the, the cost implications of having 20 kids or 22 kids and counting. Um, and it caused a huge, huge, you know, Ferrari, which is exactly what the, the channel wanted. But it, it's an equally um, divisive issue in the UK as it is, it is in Australia. And I would imagine as well the US of, of who, who pays, who foots the bill for things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole world's been flipped on its head. I mean, I, I succumbed to uh, to the false narrative. I mean, I thought it was cool to be a single guy for as long as possible, maybe put off having a family. I, it never occurred to me to not have a family, but the simple fact that I've got a single, you know, just the one child, it'll it'll be my biggest regret till the day I die. But it's the culture that the media puts forward. Oh, don't get married too young. And I've said to, to my son, um, get married young. You know, if you can, if you find a good person when you're young, don't miss out on that opportunity because perhaps if you wait 10 or 15 years, that the better people may already be in relationships, may already have families. And those, uh, you, know, you know where I'm going with this. The point being, good people who work hard should go forth, multiply, and shouldn't have to go and pay for those who do nothing. I don't think that's the society that our forefathers and uh, uh, had in, in mind for us. I really don't think that is the case. No, and I think agenda-driven agenda lives are what we've all been living for many, many years, many decades. I mean, if you look back now, all the research that's been done on the so-called flower power movement in the 1960s and the, the explosion of psychedelic drugs and all that, and suddenly it was, you know, at the time, everyone thought it was this grassroots movement. Now, you look back, it was completely engineered, wasn't it? Well, the book's been written about this, about the CIA flooding uh, young people, popular culture with these drugs um, to destabilize and to kind of cause a wedge between parents and children or, you know, you don't understand us, man. It was all completely, you know, you think you're in control of your own minds and your own thoughts and your own behavior. And when I was growing up, I was quite radical in my beliefs of like, you know, all feminism. And I still don't get me wrong. You know, I'm one of the most independent, self 
um, you know, assured women, you would probably meet if I do say so myself. And I completely believe in freedom of choice and being at women being able to do what they want with their lives. But I look back now and I see feminism. It came out of nowhere. Suddenly there are all these books in the 1970s and early 80s and, you know, this war between men and women. I don't want to be at war with men. I love men. You know, I get on really well with men. I find them fun and, and entertaining and intelligent. You know, I don't want to be at war with anybody. Um, but, you know, you're encouraged to hate, aren't you? You're encouraged to, you know, d- d- cut men out of your life. All of that is an agenda. And they steer behavior. These big think tanks, these governments, these NGA, all of these things. You think you're in control of your own life. Mm. You need, It takes balls of steel to step away from it all, doesn't it? And realize, hang on a minute, I was sold something that really wasn't real. And I think more and more people are, are coming to that conclusion as we speak, as we speak. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think women were always tremendously respected and we had this, this you know, uh, society where the one parent, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not advocating who that should be, but one parent could go out, make a, a good living, afford to pay a house, feed the family. And what they did when they introduced feminism, they said to, to women, you know, you're being uh, denied the chance to go and work. And subsequently, um, you know, that worked out very well when a few women wanted to go and take advantage of the new opportunities that were being given to them. Um, or, or that they took for themselves. I, I won't even say that, you know, you know what I mean? They were, they were, they took on the world and they, they went forward. I'm going to be careful when I say these things. Um, and as a result, you know, the price of everything went up a little bit. Then more and more women had to enter the workforce. Before you knew it, those women weren't having any children or not many or didn't have time to have families. And they really did destroy the family unit. I mean, the thing that I love most about my life is the fact that I did have a kid. And But it's very easy to get caught up as a self-employed person and just getting about your day and working and making more and more money and doing all that. And I think that's what they've done with feminism. I think that's what they've done with, uh, you know, this money-based economy that we have. And sometimes I think... Uh, we've we've lost our way. I've got a couple of friends that have eight or ten kids, and um, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm rather jealous of them, if, if I say that. I see just how happy they are as a family. And money is a very secondary thing sometimes. I feel, but I think we've been steered in a direction. I think we've been sold a lie, and I think we're starting to wake up to it. But um, well, when do we change? I think some, sometimes if you don't realise the lie soon enough, you're so far down the hole you can't get back out. Uh, that's a very good point. I mean, we're here to talk about the news at the start of the week, and I will get to what's happening here in the UK in just a sec. But these are important conversations, and they need to be had because you, in this incarnation, you've just got this one precious life, and then you get to your deathbed revelations, which are extremely common. And and everyone's deathbed revelation is pretty much the same. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd lived a different life, one that I really wanted to live. I mean, the, the great Australian author, Bonnie Ware, she wrote that book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And right at the top is, I wish I'd lived a life true to myself and not the one that was foisted upon me. And it's not often foisted upon you necessarily by your parents. It's foisted on you by the system. That's the life that's foisted upon you and the, this, this chasing of money. Um, and you get to the end of your life and nobody thinks it was a valid uh, way to spend time. But programming is a very difficult thing to break. It's almost impossible, actually. But over the last four years, since March 2020 and the global insanity, which seems to be coming back with the threat of World War Three, which is what I'll get to in just a minute. But um, people have woken up to the lies the system tells us. But then if you haven't got a blueprint for how to change your life, you know, nobody's gone before you to say, well, this is how you exit the matrix. This is how you exit the system. You've got to do it yourself. But that's self-actualization. And that's that's the greatest goal of a human is self-actualization where your inner and your out your inner values and your outer behavior match up. That is a thing to do, Dean. That is a there's a challenge in, in the human life, but it's possible. But it takes focus, it takes effort, and it takes hard work. But the end results are priceless, worth yeah, more I'll than any have... money, worth more than any job, you know. 
yeah, it'll give you an inner peace, especially that day when we go to meet our maker. I think if we can look back and say we did the right things and we made some very good decisions going back and go out without any regrets, I think uh, we've led a pretty well-lived life. Jem, what do you got for us? Well, I mean, the headlines are dominated in the UK this morning, unsurprisingly, about the the, the US personnel killed in, in Iran by Iran, allegedly. Um, and the headlines are, you know, escalation, uh, threat of World War Three. And over the weekend, we had the announcement in one of the mainstream outlets that nuclear US nuclear weapons are now to be uh, stored on UK soil for the first time in 15 years. Now, that is ramping up fears that really haven't been around since the Cold War. And that headline generated a lot of frenzied fear-based debate over the weekend. Naturally so. I remember um, Greenham Common, which was where a lot of uh, US uh, military nuclear weapons were st stored in the 1980s. And it was the famous sleep out of the women at Greenham Common, which eventually led to some of those the weapons going. You know, such a huge protest campaign for nuclear disarmament, all of that. But looking at the headlines, it's very um, familiar very familiar of what happened four years ago because they're saying now we must be prepared for the almost imminent threat of war with Russia. We had uh, um, military chiefs last week warning about conscription, saying we probably have to, you know, basically take people off the streets and round people up. We need to live in a military state. And the language is so familiar to what happened with the scandemic. You know, when you think about it, if we're preparing for war, what does war mean? It means shortages. It means restrictions on travel. It means power blackouts. It means the state has the power to tell us what to do with our lives and we will take it. What does that remind you of, Dean? Yeah, what does that sounds, remind you of? It sounds, you know, it sounds very familiar, it doesn't does. it, four years ago. And four years ago didn't quite work, didn't quite get us where they wanted us. So now the global threat of World War Three, or we can bring in restrictions because it's going to be World War Three. Can't travel, it's going to be World War Three. Need a passport because it's going to be World War Three. I can see where this is going if you look behind the headlines and I'm pretty sure you'll probably agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, you've got people like Zuckerberg building their bunkers, preparing for the event, whatever that is. But um, it's a bit of a worry. But let's hope that uh, cooler heads prevail and people wake up. If people band together, act as one, then they have zero power. I, mean, I don't mean us. I mean they, you know, those behind the scenes have zero power. Let's hope we wake up. Of course, Gemma Cooper, you'll be joining Sonia next hour and, and back here tomorrow with me here at TNT. Thank you. And we'll be back with Russell Broadbent, who is the member for uh, Monash in the Parliament here in Australia, and we'll be talking to him right after this break here at TNT. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints us. We'll be pulling his hat from the ring next. And the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk. TNT. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Mm. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. 
I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe and is the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those beans smell heavenly. Mm-hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTradio.live. Today's news talk radio. TNT. And welcome back to the program. I've got a terrific guest for you coming up. Now, let's talk historically. Let's talk about the Liberal Party historically on a state level. And whilst it is currently in Victoria, and especially in light of and after Dan Andrews, a complete basket case, Victoria used to be one of the most commonsensical uh, states here politically in Australia. I would now say Queensland is that place. But um, for a lot of years, we had some absolutely wonderful uh, Victorian Liberal Party people. And my next guest is one of them. I've spoken to many of them. I get Bernie Finn on here. I get Jeff Shaw on here all the time. And Russell Broadbent is one of the best. And I'll tell you why. Not only was he in the Victorian Liberal Party for, you know, I think almost 45, I think 43 years, but he's one of those politicians who does what you should do as a politician rather than impose, you know, the, the will of the party or even your own personal will upon the people. What he does, he gets out amongst the people has a listen to what they have to say and may even backflip on what he thinks personally, puts out and represents you, the people. And that's why he's now no longer with the Liberal Party. He's running, uh, he's the member for Monash, a terrific fellow. And everyone who I know who knows him speaks so highly of him, you wouldn't believe. Uh, He's a terrific guy. Russell Broadbent, welcome to the program. Dean, you're very kind to me. I think you've got uh, the wrong person. (laughs) I think you've got the wrong person. I think you've been talking to the wrong people too. I've been talking to all the right people. Uh, mate, you're somebody who's always advocated for what's right, who listens to their heart, who who follows their heart, their own intuition. And I think that's why, you know, you you serve the Victorian community so well. I've, I've, I've got to ask, I mean, now that you're running as an independent, basically, you're no longer with the Liberal Party, I would suggest that you remain rather constant. And as many people have told me, not just Liberal, but of course, the Labor Party have both changed immensely over the decades. Oh, that's true. That is true. Um, the Liberal Party that I joined is not the Liberal Party of today, but I, I'm not criticising them. Uh, that's the way it is. So the Labor Party that I knew. You know, I, I'd say to you, Dean, this, and I'd say it very sincerely. How is it? I, I, I did five pay seasons between 15 and 20. Uh, that's cutting hay for people that don't know what it was. They were small bales. In those days, not the big round bowls you know these days. And I did five five years of that. I worked with the salt of the earth, down to earth, common sense people. I think I learned more in that five years about life and uh, looking after the underdog than I than I learned. You know, it was five o'clock in the morning one time. We'd been working all day, and I said to the boss, "We're going out again." He said, "Yes, the rain's coming, and these people cannot afford. They're not wealthy. They can't afford to lose their hay." So we just kept working until we got the hay in. And, wow. you know, I learned I learned a very good lesson then that it's not all about you, it's all about them. It's never been about me as the member for of parliament. It's always been about the people that I represent, and I learned that cutting hay. And people who work with their hands, and you mentioned the word then a minute ago, 
they seem to have far more common sense than our brightest people with their university degrees. Like, see, yeah, mate, I, I, I couldn't agree. I think intuition is something you're either born with or it atrophies. If you don't use it, you you tend to lose it. And mate, the people, why is it the people in the rural rural areas tend not to lose that sense of? Is it because of the sense of community that they have, because they share ideas amongst each other, that they tend to hold on to and build upon that sense of intuition and common sense over time? I, I think they have more hope. They like can. Have some, they have control of their lives. They're not dependent as city people are, as dependent as city people are. They're more independent than city people are. Um, and, and they belong. They know they belong to a, a body, a group. Uh, and, and they share. They know they're going to share difficult times together, be they floods, bushfires, high winds, storms, whatever throws their way. Um, and they are... I think far more unified and in love of country, love of the land, uh, closeness to the land, dirt under their fingernails, and uh, that, that's what it produces. You know, you asked me um, prior to the show about my opposition to take stage three tax cuts. Well, I haven't changed my position in five years. Even when those tax cuts came in, I thought, well, politicians don't need an up to $10,000 tax cut or even higher for ministers. No, that's, that, that's, that was ridiculous. When the, the people at the bottom of the tree were getting nothing. Now we have this massive, massive um, cost of living problem where, and I'm, I'm going to use the word massive a few times here because I can't think of another word. I mean, I hate using cliches, but I, I can't think of another word. Um, we have this cost of living problem. Who's it hurting the most? It's hurting the poor. It's hurting those on fixed income. And in my own electorate of Monash, only a handful of people were going to benefit from those tax cuts. Yeah. All the tax cut benefit was going to the teal and green seats in the city. In the yeah. cities. You know, they weren't going to the regions, the regions that feed them, the regions that give them their water and their food. They weren't, those people weren't getting the tax cut because, you know, I, I, even the nationals and myself represent some of the lowest socioeconomic um, districts in Australia. You know, and they I, I, I vote for something that, that some some the groups in Melbourne that, that vote against me and people like me, they're going to get the greatest benefit. Yeah, I couldn't agree anyway, more. I, I just think when circumstances change, we change. There was a massive, massive I'm using this word again, a massive uh, deficit spending caused by COVID, which I probably didn't agree with at the time. But, uh, you know, you can do those tax cuts when we're doing well. But then COVID hits, we have this massive transfer of wealth from the Commonwealth to the private sector from you and me to the private sector. Then we had this uh, amazing transfer of wealth. Who to? The churches. The churches. And, and by the way, the churches don't, don't pay tax. At least the private sector pay tax and some of that money keeping their businesses going comes back in the coffers of government. But Dean Matson, I say to you, um, you know, uh, those, those two things there that... Um, even um, the, a very well-known church in Western Australia uh, had a million-dollar um, surplus for the year, and they received a million. Uh, the church had received a million dollars from the Commonwealth, for sake. Yeah, it's you know, amazing these, these how. Things, but these are things people forget, and I don't forget. I, I don't forget. Uh, Mate, we we shouldn't forget. And... Waking up to all we've been through. 
I would agree. We, we shouldn't forgive. We shouldn't forget. And it's the last four years that I would at length like to uh, have a conversation with you about after the break. So, Russell Broadbent, if you could just stick around, we could do a short break, the news headlines, and then we'll chat about the last four years and uh, this uh, ending some vaccine mandates as well. Everybody, this is TNT. We'll be back with Russell Broadbent right after this. Attention. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The US has vowed revenge after several of its soldiers were killed and dozens more wounded in a drone strike in the Middle East. Israel has rejected Friday's ruling by the International Court of Justice and vowed to continue its brutal bombardment of Gaza in the name of self-defence. And North Korea has fired several cruise missiles into waters off its east coast amid increasing tensions with the US, South Korea and Japan. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah, 24-7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. When it comes to hospitals, I unfortunately know a little bit too much about them. After the last two weeks, my dad passing away on Sunday of last week and my mum getting a five centimetre tumour removed uh, in the hospitals. They are absolutely just in free fall. They can't get any good people. They, well, they've got plenty of good people there. They don't have enough, I should say. And we've still got these vaccine mandates in place. Can you believe it's 2024? Well and truly, we're still talking about this because we have to. And Russell Broadbent, who is the uh, uh, member for Monash, he's one of those people asking the questions that we need to about the call to end these ridiculous and long overdue vaccine mandates to be removed. Russell, mate, it's just nuts, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. I, I called out two and a half, three years ago. The, ma ma uh, the mandates are wrong in the first place. They achieved the, manda the mandates that you're talking about. They achieved nothing. They did not achieve what they set out to achieve. They still don't these days. Um, in our hospitals particularly, I have a Victorian anaesthetist, which I just did a program with, um, who can work in South Australia, Western Australia, New South Wales and Queensland, but you can't work in Victoria because... The vaccine mandates are still in place in Victoria and she, and she refused to be vaccinated. In fact, she was fired by a major country hospital because of her position and she was the most senior, um, highly regarded doctor there. Wouldn't you think if she said the mandates are wrong, these vaccines are wrong, that they'd listen to the one that they've been listening to as yes. a highly credentialed person? She is an ethicist um, trained in Malaysia, England and Australia. She can work in any of those countries, but she can't work in Victoria. Firefighters that can't work in Victoria that are now able to work in New South Wales and South Australia and Western Australia. What a country we've got. What a basket case. And I never put my country down, but what a basket case of leadership we've got. What a dearth of leadership we've got when the states all have different positions on mandates. It's and, crazy. But they should Russell, be withdrawn straight away. That's why I called for them to be withdrawn. 
the well, well, Russell, what's worse is that we've, you know, despite the fact that even if they were to reverse the mandates, many of those people have now moved on to other states. I mean, uh, up in Queensland, they're offering some tremendous incentives for medical people to move up there, higher rates of pay, uh, you know, one-off cash payments for moving up north. So, I mean, they've really done some damage down in Victoria over the last four years to the hospital system. And a lot of that may be uh, very difficult to fix. And of course, now to the point where they have to look to uh, help overseas, which many people probably wouldn't be overly impressed with. And why would we be taking the cream of uh, the educated in other countries and probably poorer countries than ours to come here because we have stupid mandates that don't allow our uh, nurses, doctors and specialists to work. And so we're going to replace them with overseas qualified people. Uh, just, it's just crazy. Um, but that's Victoria for you at the moment. And uh, you saw uh, the figures today on Victoria and uh, on the state's growth. Queensland's going like a house on fire and Victoria's yep. going backwards. Victoria, let me say that again. The great state of Victoria has gone backwards. And the uh, per head income for every Australian has gone backwards over the last three years. And people are really feeling exactly that as well. Um, you know, uh, I remember the um, the great ad on television. Equity, mate. Equity. You know, equity. Well, um, anybody that's um, uh, got very high mortgage rates now and have been spending it on boats and cars and caravans uh, with their equity uh, find themselves in a very difficult position. Very difficult. You know. You know the 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 lowest income earners and the middle in income earners in Australia, the middle class in Australia. They are now spending their savings and they're going into using their credit cards uh, just to survive. And that can't go on, Dean. That can't go on. And you're, look, I, I, I really feel for you um, having your mum sick and, and, you're, and losing your dad because it doesn't matter when it happens. It's always very difficult to deal with for every one of us um, with, with, when we have family members pass away like that. And uh, my condolences go to you very, very, very sincerely. Thanks, so mate. But it, there, we, there we stand at the moment. That's why I called for all mandates to be removed. So let's have some consistency. Anybody with any common sense now knows that uh, uh, the firefighters that are banned in Victoria, 200 of them, and yet um, the, 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 I hear that the fire crew, we're, we're 900 policemen short. No, 900 are on sick leave. And we're 600 short. 600 short, and 900 of the ones we do have are on sick leave. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can't believe, Russell. I can't believe this is still going on in 2024, mate. You're down in Victoria, you're in the parliament, you've got your finger on the pulse, you know many of the people about the place down there. Do you feel that this could change at any time, or do you feel they're going to double down and this is going to continue uh, for quite I, some I, time? I think they're doubling down here in Victoria. Um, and But how can you have a nation, this wonderful free nation like Australia that we thought we have until uh, COVID came along and what governments did to us then? Um, how, can you, how can you have such inconsistency between the states? It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Um, it just, how, how can one part of a nation say, oh, you know, we have these vaccine mandates to protect people, to protect the public? You know, it's like putting masks on our kids in, in school, sort of stopping them breathing and making them sicker. 
than they would ever be. Um, you know, like, like they know that COVID doesn't affect kids. They know. Wrong. Yeah, and and unfortunately, Russell, they knew at the time, and still there was that massive push to go and vaccinate kids. And I think you know, after the whole COVID thing, if there is one thing that I am left absolutely just uh, uh, mortified by, that would be the key one. Uh, the kids, you know, had no say in it either. Just like those who were mandated to do it, those who had to do it to keep their jobs, to pay their mortgages, to put the food on the table. Kids don't say no to their parents. Kids trust their parents. Kids trust their doctors. And the doctors and many of the parents got it wrong because they listened to the wrong people. Russell, I'm glad you're out there doing the right thing, mate. I think you're terrific. And uh, mate, thank you for being one of the very few MPs out there who listens to the people and who represents them and does the job that they were paid to do. I think you're a champion. Thanks, Dean. Thank you. That's Russell Broadbent, everybody, the member for Monash down in Victoria and a very sad state of affairs down there at the moment uh, after Dan Andrews and a lot of the damage that was done. But people like Russell Broadbent are trying to get the state back on track and let's hope that uh, we get a few more people stepping up and doing what it is that he does. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Kirsten Murphitt here at TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week, Dr. Jill Biden, the first lady, gave an interview and she talked about what she believed the Republican Party was doing to her son, Hunter Biden, and to the rest of her family. I think what they are doing to Hunter is cruel. And I'm really proud of um, how Hunter has rebuilt his life uh, after addiction. And um, I think... You know, I'm, I love my son and it's had, it's hurt my grandchildren. And that's what I'm so concerned about. Now that's ridiculous, of course, because Hunter Biden decided not to honor a subpoena from the Congress and he's facing 17 years in prison on tax charges out in California. Uh, but nonetheless, former GOP chairman Michael Steele ripped his former party. The party of family values doesn't have the compassion to understand the addiction that drove Hunter to behave the way he did. I'm telling you, they got their own children and relatives who have those same issues. Now, take how would you like that to be displayed across the front page of the New York Times or the Washington Post? Newsbusters Mark Finkelstein asked if Steele was threatening Republicans, threatening to reveal stories about other people's children. Sounded that way to me. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Hi. I'm your retirement fear. But don't be scared. You're still in pre-tirement. Pre-tirement? Does that mean I have more time to plan? Precisely. Here, this is pretirement.org. Huh. Retirement savings options? <laughs> Potential tax breaks. Yep. Ooh. Oh, I could build up savings for my side hustle. This isn't scary. I'm doing it. You got this. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan. Talking about issues and coming up with solutions. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. We talk about intelligence and it comes in all forms. And, you know, a lot of the people get the top jobs who are intelligence, but who are intelligent, but those 
who exceed at those jobs are those who are intuitive, who are logical, and they all seem to find their way to the same space that we are here today at TNT. Across the board, we seem to agree on most issues. There are a couple of little divisive ones where we may go in different directions, but intuition keeps us on track. It keeps us on board with the truth. And this woman, my next guest, Kirsten Murphy, is absolutely ticks every one of those boxes uh, in, in, in total. She's a New Zealand lawyer, a writer, an advocate for justice and a principal KM, a principal of KM Law. After graduating from the University of Auckland back in 99, she gained her formative experience as a barrister and a solicitor in two top-tier law firms in Auckland. Recently, she publicly raised concerns for the proposed amendments, and wow, we really should be worried about this, to the International Health Regulations uh, 2005 and the WHO Pandemic Treaty, which scares the bejesus out of me. Um, and what it does, it transfers powers over health policy, and it will leave us absolutely at the whim of these globalists. And Kirsten Murphy is fighting that. She's going to tell us all about it. Hey, Kirsten, how are you going? Hi, Dean. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, thank you for being who you are and, and taking on the fight that, and it needs to be taken on at the level that, that, that you are, uh, that you're at. And where do we start on this? I mean, it's something that we talked about, that we worried about, but it's it's becoming more and more real. And I'm getting this sense of deja vu that if it gets in, we may be reliving at some point imminently that which we just went through. Well, that's what I'm really worried about, because if you didn't like the response to COVID-19, why are we giving more power across to who? There's, uh, International Health Regulations and the Pandemic Accord actually strengthen their powers. So it's kind of going to be like COVID-19 on steroids. It's, you know, yeah. if they if they got it right, if they saved millions of people, you'd go, wow, thank you, WHO, bring it on. They got it absolute polar opposite wrong to the point where you literally had to be brain dead to get it that wrong. You had to have zero intuition. In fact, if anything, I viewed it as some kind of attack because I can't imagine so many well-credentialed people could absolutely get it so wrong on mass. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've never been in a pandemic before because I understand they're actually quite rare. Um, and I don't know anyone that died. I don't know anyone that went to hospital. So I maybe, maybe I'm just a lucky case. I don't know. Well, I mean, many would argue you and I still haven't lived through a pandemic because if you go back to the meaning of the word pandemic back as it was in 2009, we certainly have never experienced one. They had to go and redefine the entire term just to scare us enough and certainly parents enough to go and vaccinate their kids when kids were virtually immune to this thing. I mean, that was, again, as I just said to my last guest, that was absolutely horrific to me. I couldn't believe how, how many of my son's friends are vaccinated, obviously upwards of, of 80% in, in the adult population, despite the fact they tell us we're at 95% here in Australia. I know just through talking to so many people, it's probably closer to 65%. Yeah, we think it's probably similar here. It's all the way that they count the numbers. And just going back to the young people, we knew what was going to affect them, but there was so much pressure put on them. And I don't, both my husband and I had COVID. I was sick for three days. He was sick, I think, for four, but he's got a lot of underlying conditions. My son didn't catch it. We're all in the same house. Yeah. <laughs> the, the immune system of the children is just, you know, absolutely wonderful. And uh, but the, what's worse, that wasn't information that came to light after the fact. It was known at the time 
And mm. here they were, the mainstream media, not doing their due diligence at all. In fact, here in Australia, I'm not sure if you're aware of what was happening here in Australia. I would suggest it was happening all around the world because we were very much in lockstep uh, during mm. that three years. Um, if you were a major media organisation in Australia, provided you kept the Australian public up to date with the COVID narrative, you were not going to pay any tax for that whole period. And they did very, very well by that. We had very similar over here as well. It is very much lockstep. There was a $15 million payout to the media, but they had to sign certain conditions. Oh, yeah. And so they just pushed it out, pumped it out, had all the advertising revenue as well. And we know for a fact, the government knew at least on the 10th of September 2021, that the vaccine had not been tested for transmission. Yet 44 days later, they introduced the traffic light system which is basically the vaccine passports, but we called it the traffic light system in New Zealand. Yeah. Now, I've, I've got to ask now, I like to, as an Aussie, uh, because we go internationally, you know, uh, just kind of ramp it up a little bit, if you will. Of course, the Victorians here had it the worst. Oh, Dan you know Andrews. I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, oh, don't start me. Uh, don't start me about a journey. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm going to, because I can imagine, I don't know, and just through an intuitive thing, I think you guys may have actually had it in many ways worse than Victoria. Was that the case? In certain parts of New Zealand, it definitely was. So Auckland, where I'm from, but I moved to Tauranga back in 2015, they were in lockdown for months and months and months. And so they were getting really angry at provincial New Zealand, where I am, because we weren't taking the vaccines, because they saw the only way out of those lockdowns was to get the vaccine numbers up. Yeah. You know, the people that really annoy me, um, we got so many people who are tuning back into like Sky News, who are tuning back into 2GB and stations like that, who are pretend, I, I now consider them to be pretend conservatives. They were all pushing the vaccine narrative. You know, the only way mm -hmm. through this, this is Peter Credlin, is to go and get vaccinated. And all the people now forgetting, being like goldfish and forgetting those in the media who should have known better, who advocated that they go and get this jab. And there they are, you know, hanging off every word they say now three years later. If you got it wrong then on what I consider to be the most obvious false narrative on the planet, I mean, yeah. the fact that, that I was actually scared and I don't scare easy, um, you know, that to me was just a huge, a huge red light. Now, let's get on to this WHO pandemic yeah. treaty. How scary is it and how worried should we be? Very worried. Um, wow. There's a short time frame. I'm really concerned. So the situation that I'm fighting in New Zealand is we've just had the 1st of December amendment, which reduced the time frame if you didn't opt out of it or re reject a reserve. So New Zealand actually ended up rejecting it. So that just means we've got a reduced time frame. So with, they come into effect in May 2024, being this year. So we've got 24 months and then 12 months after that to opt out where if your country didn't do that, then you've only got 12 months and then followed by another 10 months to opt out. So things are moving very, very quickly. I'm really concerned because the, so just going back a track, so in 2022, when they decided that they were going to look at these amendments, um, they got the working group of the International Health Regulations, which Al Bloomfield, the ex-Director General of Health from New Zealand, is the co-chair. And they stated just before December that they're going to circumvent Article 55, sorry, um, which means that they're not going to give us four months to actually consider what these new amendments are between now and the 27th of May when the World Health Assembly meeting is on. So they should have released that draft yesterday in New Zealand, 
oh, sorry, Saturday. So it's been a long weekend. So the 27th. Um, but they've decided because the working group is a new group, they don't need to abide by the rules. So there's lack of transparency, lack of due process. And the working group has been working for close to a year behind closed doors. So they expect all our nations, the state parties, as they call them, to go to this meeting in May and vote yes or no without wow. seeing them, without having a chance to do due diligence. And so I've really put the pressure on because I did run as a political candidate last year. And so I put the pressure on my party. So we managed to get, even though we've only got eight seats out of our whole 122, we brought into the negotiations to reserve or reject the um, 1 December amendment, which was the reduced timeframe. And we ended up rejecting it. Um, there was a bit of confusion around that. But now I'm saying to them, they're trying to get public consultation. And that is wonderful. I'm like 100% behind that. But it's actually farcical to have public consultation at the moment for one month when we don't even have the final draft to look at. So what can I comment on when I don't know what it is? Wow. I mean, the, the whole thing is just massively frightening. I mean, we've got this whole this whole, uh, you know, imminent threat of this WHO thing, there's, there's this urgency about it, despite the mm -hmm. fact that the only people who died during the pandemic were those who had three or more comorbidities or those who miraculously happened to be older than the average life expectancy anyway, and those who were put on things like remdesivir and, and forced, mm -hmm. you know, kind of um, hospital procedures. So here we are pushing this thing. There was, there was no real threat historically anyway. They're pushing forward with it. And by the sounds of it, they're going to override our bodily autonomy, our choice, constitutional issues in certain countries, perhaps. And of course, uh, the sovereignty of nations based on a treaty. Are treaties legally binding to the point where they can override those things? You sort of got to take a step back. There's a whole process to it. So with the international health regulations, they seem to be legally binding the ones at the moment. Um, on whose website that says the legally binding. The Ministry of Health for New Zealand says it's legally binding, but I know there are some people challenging that at the moment as they're going through the constitution. So we're still a little bit uncertain about that. But if this amendments come into play, then the treaty is legally binding, but then parliament has to implement an domestic law. But normally you wouldn't sign a treaty unless you've got the capability to implement an inter-domestic law. Wow. I mean, now, just to get this thing in perspective, if this is the pass, they could, again, you know, get the common flu, rebrand it, if you will, uh, get a test that would find uh, a potato, you know, had yeah. a particular uh, disease we or illness. We in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, so they could do that and then knock on your door and legally require you to extend your arm and undergo some sort of medical uh, procedure had if they deem it to be, by their own experts' uh, opinions only, uh, medically safe. They could come and do that to anybody over in New Zealand should this pass. Possibly. I think it'd be more that they'd bring back in the passports because passports are a central focus of the draft we've got. So just taking another step back, in the current um, IHRs, so they've been in effect since 2005, there's a section 18 which has the ability to already vaccinate, etc. So that's what rolled out with the COVID response. And this is why I'm worried because if that wasn't strong enough, and we know how much human rights were breached and all the other stuff, what next? So I don't know if they'd go as far as coming and forcibly jabbing you, but they would put the pressure on so tough you may not have a choice because they've now got the 
they've already decided on the platform. So it's already been predetermined, the platform that's going to hold our data. We'll be sending our data off to some secure platform somewhere in the world, wherever that is. So potentially our data can be going offshore and how will that be used? And then they can build basically things into the passport as time goes on, that old lockstep. And they can also bring in a social credit system. <laughs> wow. I yeah. mean, it, it really is like going back uh, to all, you know, the Orwellian 1984 thing and things. Could you imagine 20 years ago that we could possibly be discussing what we are now? Could you ever have imagined? I would have thought you said you're nuts. <laughs> yes, and here we are. We're, we're yeah. living in bizarro land. Um, so yeah. what's the likelihood of this going through um, or is it very hard to determine at this point? At this point, um, I'm part of a couple of international groups of people that have been speaking out around the world, politicians, doctors, etc. And we're expecting that it's probably going to go through because they only need a majority and there's some issues around how they count votes and they can do it behind closed doors. So we're delving into that at the moment. So it's likely that it will pass. It doesn't mean just because it's voted in, your country's automatically the next day it's all going to happen. They've got time to opt out. So although panic stations are on, there is time, but we need to be raising awareness all around the world because it's just so badly drafted. There's lack of due process, it's predetermined. They have the ability under their next years to control misinformation. So if they're controlling the narrative, they control science, <laughs> they control the response, that will also filter through to the international courts and also filter into domestic courts, just as it did with the COVID-19 response, where everyone was fighting the mandate, saying it's against human rights, you know, and the courts just didn't come to play. We had one case in New Zealand out of all of them that actually came forward. Wow. I've, yeah. I've got to ask, what's it feel like living in New Zealand now with the, the new government? Is Does it feel different? Is it likely to be any better under the current government? I really hope so, but I might be a bit biased given that my party's got in. <laughs> I, I get that, yes. <laughs> yeah. But and I really I mean, do think there's a sense of people, like some people don't understand what's wrong, but they sense that something's not right in the country where so many more people are waking up. And I think it's actually going to be people power and it's putting on that political pressure. So we've got, as I said, submissions that are public consultation, which can be done from the 17th of January through to the 18th of February. Yes, it's farcical in the fact that we don't have the actual document to comment on. We've only got the 2002 ones. But I encourage every New Zealander, whether in Australia, New Zealand, anywhere around the world, to at least answer the questions. There's only four short questions. Because the more of us that answer and put that political pressure on just sends a very strong message to the government. Well, I hope they do. I've, I've literally got more uh, close Kiwi friends and I do Aussies here, um, you know, so many expats living here and up in Queensland, yeah. and, but but they're all so passionate about the place that they grew up and that's what gives them that strength that, that they all seem to share. Um, the one thing I am very hopeful of is that very tight-knit in relation to Australia, you know, in comparison, I should say, to Australia is the New Zealand community. Word yeah. spreads very quickly. Um, and when you get done wrong by, you're very likely to come together in a very strong way and say well, very we've always had that Anzac no. spirit apart from rugby. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start me on rugby. Yeah. Yeah. But just um, on my Twitter page and also my Facebook page, I've got a cheat sheet, which just has, explains it all, gives some examples. I'm not 
please don't copy and paste it because they won't accept it if it's all copy and pasted. But it just gives people a start and they can like amend it, etc. Because we need to get those submissions in. I mean, if you and even if you don't want to go through the article by article, because yeah, people could argue both sides of that. The fact that there's lack of transparency, lack of due process, we don't know what the cost of this is going to be to implement. They've done no forecasting around that, which is outrageous. And we've had one overseas forecast that projected for each nation, guess how much it's going to cost to implement? $154 billion. Oh. <laughs> Just after we've been through COVID. I should have taken a tranquilizer before asking that question. Kirsten yeah. Murphy, we have run out of time. I think you're terrific. Everybody, get onto her Twitter page. There is a 13-page a document you can download. It is a cheat sheet and spread it to all of your Kiwi friends if you can. It's so important. I can't stress it enough. And we've got people such as Kirsten out there fighting for your rights and subsequently the rights of people all around the world. Kirsten Murphy, thanks for joining us here at thank TNT. You. Coming Great, up after you. the... Thank you, my friend. Uh, coming up next, we've got Sonia Poulton. This is TNT. I'll catch you all tomorrow.